Good news for all workers. Taiwan will hike the basic minimum wage for the eighth time since President Tsai Ing-wen took office. Starting from New Year's Day next year, the minimum monthly wage will be 27,470 NT in an increase of 4.05 percent. Meanwhile, the minimum hourly pay will go up to 183 NT. After four and a half hours of discussions, the Ministry of Labor's Wage Review Committee announced that the minimum wage will be increased next year. The monthly minimum salary will stand at 27,470 NT, an increase of 4.05%, while the minimum hourly rate will stand at 183 NT. It's estimated that 2.39 million workers will benefit from the hike. The committee's final decision to make the increase of 4.05% was higher than an expected 3%. The main consideration was to maintain the public's real purchasing power amid soaring prices of important everyday commodities. Over the years, when we have been adjusting the minimum wage, the CPI of 17 important everyday commodities has not seen such large increases. Whatever the future holds, employers are actually very worried. They should take care of workers, but they are also worried that if these increases are too large, they may not be able to absorb the costs. Looking back at President Tsai Ing-wen's term in office, the minimum wage has risen eight times in a row for a total increase of 37.3% in the minimum monthly wage and a 52.5% increase in hourly salaries. Faced with concerns from employers about a poor economy, Labor Minister Xu Ming-chun stressed the government will do its best to help. For example, small and medium-sized manufacturers have recently destocked their entire inventories and orders are not performing as well as expected. The representative from the Ministry of Economic Affairs has particularly noted some measures to assist them. As the economy bubbles domestically and cools externally in the post-pandemic era, Sue hopes that raising the basic wage will attract more people into the workforce and alleviate a labour shortage problem. Despite the upcoming rise, KMT presidential candidate Hoyo E slammed the Thai administration Friday for failing to raise the minimum monthly wage to 30,000 NT as pledged in 2017. Ho said the government had disappointed workers, adding that if he gets elected, he will bring up the minimum wage to 33,000 NT. Ho also promised tax breaks for companies that raised their employees' wages by more than 1% of their annual profits. However, the ruling DPP has slammed Ho's proposal, saying he was pushing the burden of salary hikes onto companies. I promise all workers that during my term in office, the minimum monthly wage will be increased gradually year by year to reach 33,000 NT. The KMT's Ho Yo Yi also said he wants to encourage companies to raise the salaries of workers whose income is higher than the minimum wage. If listed companies use more than 1% of the after-tax profits to raise employees' salaries, any amount above the 1% mark will be deducted from the company's taxable business income for the year. That's as long as the amount does not exceed 150%. If giving employees a salary increase of 100 NT deducts 150 NT from the taxable income, companies will be more willing to raise employees' wages to get a deduction. Ho also promised stiffer taxes for wealthy people. 
taxpayers with an income of more than 10 million and whose salaries only account for 30% of their income could see their tax rate go up to 45%. Hol stressed that he was not afraid of offending Taiwan's upper classes. If you see everything as a vote, you won't want to do anything. What should be done should be done. Courage is the will to reform, and nothing can stop this. So I'll impose a tax on rich people when I take office. The DPP is now planning to levy a tax on wealthy people. I'm happy. Do you want to do this together? To put this bluntly, he is being generous at the expense of others. Your goals and your political platforms require all of our companies to help you fulfill them. Even more should be taken out of profits to help young people. So why don't you take the profits you're making from renting out dorms for university students and give them back to young people? The legislative candidate took a jab at Ho for the Chinese Culture University dorms run by his family, which have recently caused controversy for their high rental rates. President Tsai on Friday returned to Taiwan after a four-day visit to Taiwan's sole African diplomatic ally, Eswatini. The president gave a brief speech about her trip shortly after touching down in the afternoon. Let's give it a listen. Taiwan faces many challenges, but we are growing more and more courageous, and we have become more resilient. This growing bravery comes thanks to the support of our good friends. I would like to once again express my gratitude to the Kingdom of Eswatini for the long-term support of Taiwan's international participation and for speaking up for Taiwan. Taiwan is capable and willing to contribute to the world. In the future, we will be even more united and courageous and take a more active role with our international partners on international issues and promote regional and global prosperity and development. Tsai stressed that the four-day visit had solidified the friendship between the two countries while further promoting sustainable cooperation. She said the trip had allowed her to see for herself the fruits of the friendly exchanges with Eswatini through mutually beneficial cooperation. Taiwan independence activists commemorated the anniversary of the Treaty of San Francisco Friday, which officially ended Japan's territorial claims over Taiwan after World War II. Activists see the date as a sort of independence day for Taiwan and have been holding a flag-raising ceremony on September 8th since 2005. This year's event was attended by legislative speaker Yoshi Kun, who thanked activists for their efforts in normalizing Taiwan's international situation. Taiwan independence activists hoist the Taiwan independence flag outside the legislative yuan to celebrate September 8th, which marks the anniversary of the signing of the Treaty of San Francisco. The flag-raising event took place at 9.08 a.m. The activists say they have high hopes for DPP presidential candidate Lai Qingde. We will have more confidence in Lai Qingde because he has more resolve. He will make efforts to speed up projects like rectifying names, constitutional reform and transitional justice. He will make up for all of Tsai Ing-wen's shortcomings. Lai Qingde is the only one who can maintain Taiwan's current lifestyle based on freedom, democracy, human rights and rule of law and freedom from enslavement by the Chinese Communist Party. The other three candidates are quite worrying as they are backed by red shadows. 
The flag-raising ceremony is in its 19th edition and was attended by supporters from home and abroad. Also at the event, Taiwan Republic Office founder Peter Wang launched a book about his efforts to defend Taiwan's sovereignty and his campaigns to let Taiwan be Taiwan internationally. I would like to offer my admiration and encouragement to everyone. No matter what, I truly believe that Taiwan is on its way to becoming a normal nation. Taiwan's normalization is definitely something we can achieve. Let's keep working hard toward it. Legislative Speaker Yoshi Kun also took part in the event, thanking activists for their work. With the 2024 general elections just around the corner, the flag-raising ceremony on Friday was especially significant. Activists say they hope the next president will defend Taiwan's sovereignty and normalize Taiwan's international situation. The Philippines and India are the world's top call center countries. A California tech startup is using AI to mask the accents of call center workers to reduce discrimination. As well-intentioned as that, some say diversity is being erased in the process. Voice of America's Matt Dibble reports from California. In the global economy, a call to a customer service center will likely be answered by someone in a faraway part of the world. Call center workers can train for months to effectively communicate with customers whose native language and culture differ from theirs. OK, try that. Photographer. Photographer. Good. Despite this training, accents often get in the way, says developer Sharath Narayana. There are at least a few instances every single day of his life or her life that they go through some level of discrimination and sometimes straight-up abuse. Narayana is a co-founder of California-based Sanus AI whose technology can adjust the way a speaker sounds, with the goal of making an accent more relatable. A call center worker from the Philippines demonstrated. Hi, my name is Iggy. I'm from Paranaque. Hi, my name is Iggy. I'm from Paranaque. The difference can be subtle, but Narayana says it is helping call center workers avoid abuse. We are not trying to hide the fact that this person is from India or this person is, is from the Philippines. Uh, but this person would sound so clear, so confident, and so crisp that the other person would like to have a conversation. Discrimination and abuse by callers are among the factors leading to high turnover among call center workers. Sociologist Anish Anish says tools like Sanus can help reduce the burden on call center agents. Anish, however, worries that it also points to what he says are dehumanizing trends in technology namely erasing diversity. Most of our communication is mediated through some technology. But when technology starts changing your accent itself, that is transforming you into your own avatar. Now, the driving force is not developing an understanding between human beings, but the driving force is transactional in the sense that things have to get functionally done. Narayana says that of the workers with the optional SANA system installed, 97% of them are choosing to use it every day. Because I was able to listen to one of my calls using SANA and wow. It looks like English is my first language, wherein in fact it's not. For now, the AI seems to be helping people connect. Matt Dibble, VOA News, Palo Alto, California. Several apartment buildings in Taipei's Dajun neighborhood in Zhongshan District were evacuated late Thursday after several of them were found to be 
tilting to one side. A nearby construction site is most likely the culprit, where the ground had not been prepared properly during the excavation stage. The city government has launched operations to fill in the collapsing ground. Initially, the construction site was to be filled with concrete, but to speed up the process, it is now being filled in with sand. Sand will be faster. If you fill it in with cement, it is harder to deal with afterward. It's also slower. If the soil isn't good, it softens up. After it is treated, it will become hard, right? And when it's harder, it can better withstand lateral forces that exert pressure on it. But if the improvements aren't done as well as expected, it could compress inward. After all, there is a pit in the ground, which is a risk for all buildings around it. If the construction site is filled in, it would provide protection to nearby buildings and roads. As for whether the residents can return, it's something that's being evaluated. Structural technicians and civil engineers are keeping a close watch on the refilling process, which was initially set to take three to four days. Now that the site is being filled, the operation is set to wrap up on Sunday. The Forestry and Nature Conservation Agency is reminding the public that collecting driftwood caused by Typhoon Haikui is not yet allowed. Many coastal areas around Taiwan are currently covered in tree branches and other debris that wash down from the mountains amid heavy rains. For now, taking any of the wood home is illegal as the government inspects the debris. Collection will eventually be allowed, but when it is, be sure to refrain from collecting any pieces that the government has marked, as doing so is punishable with up to seven years in prison and up to 20 million NT in fines. Driftwood as far as the eye can see covers this beach. Seen from above, you can get a grasp on just how much wood has been heaped on the shoreline. All of this are trees and branches washed down from the mountains by Typhoon Haikui. Excavators have been dispatched to take care of the debris. People have also headed to the beach to collect wood, be it on their own, with pets, or with a whole family squad. But a government official warns that picking up this driftwood is currently illegal. Before the relevant announcements are made, collecting the wood could be considered a criminal offence. There is a vast amount of driftwood at Huaren Beach in Hualiasjian Township, including pieces of highly aromatic cypress trees and other valuable timber. But since the government is not yet allowing its collection, people who take any of it away could be breaking the law. Some pieces are marked in red, indicating that they are property of the government. They'll eventually be taken away and sold in auctions. None of the marked pieces can be taken away, even after collection is allowed. Hmm. Taking pieces that have been marked is very likely to be in violation of Articles 50 and 52 of the Forestry Act. It is punishable with up to seven years in prison and fines of up to 20 million NT. The Forestry and Nature Conservation Agency says any pieces of unmarked wood can be taken away freely once collection is allowed. But collectors who want to sell the wood will need to obtain a permit and register online. If you're itching to get your hands on some of the driftwood, make sure you're following the rules to not get in legal trouble. 
A Japanese couple moved to Taiwan to open a taiko drumming group. As skilled drummers, the Kuma guys wanted to bring this magnificent instrument to Taiwan. Along with their three children, they relocated 10 years ago and have not looked back. Their motto is to make people happy, enjoy playing, and make slow and steady progress. The Taiko School and performance group Voice of the Wind are thriving. And now they even have the perfect mascots, as the older children in the Kumagai household have started performing Taiko too. The Taiko drum is an indispensable part of many of Japan's most beloved traditional ceremonies. Kumagai Risa and her husband Shinosuke moved to Taiwan 10 years ago to promote the Taiko. When we first founded Voice of the Wind, most of the members were somewhat older. Now we also have younger people coming in. At the time, I didn't want to get involved with it too much. Just gradual progress was enough. Our goal is to make the audience happy, so we also have to be happy and enjoy it. Then the people watching will think, wow, drumming looks so fun. That's the goal with which we founded Voice of the Wind. Lisa is one of the senior members of the group. She follows the leader, her husband, and is an energetic example to all the group's members in rehearsal. Some say she feels like the group's mom, watching closely over how everyone's doing and making sure everybody can keep up with the pace. Because we both play the drums and we're in the same Voice of the Wind group, so we often have different opinions on things. As a teacher, he's very fair and gives everyone a chance and we practice together. But personally, I want everyone to progress together. Having fallen in love with this country, the couple have decided to put down roots in Taiwan. Their son and daughter have grown up surrounded by drums and are already performing with the group, inspiring the whole team. Any business venture is fraught with tears and filled with laughter, just like a taiko rhythm rising and falling. But the Kuma guys know they're playing this song to the end. International students are finding it easier to stay and work in Taiwan after graduation thanks to new immigrant-friendly policies. Every year, thousands of international students graduate with professional skills. Now they have more opportunity to stay in Taiwan and find work if they choose. Taiwan is increasingly seen as a top country which, in which to study abroad. Many students stay here over the summer to earn money, and we caught up with one young scholar from Myanmar to find out more. Xiao Ai is about to start her first year of college. She didn't go back home to Myanmar for the summer. Instead, she stayed to wait tables in this restaurant. When one dish is served, she immediately turns to tidy a booth. It's heavy work, but the young woman wouldn't complain. I need to earn money for college. If I went home, my parents might have to worry about the money. The monthly pay over there is just 3,000 NT. Xiao Ai says that by working 80 hours a month here, earning 176 NT an hour, she gets at least 14,000 NT. It's more than she could earn in Myanmar, and the hours are more flexible. If you're full-time, the schedule is fixed each month, but not for part-time. They fix the hours each week. I can choose when I want to be off next week. Some people work in fried chicken stores in the week, and then the night shift at a factory at the weekend. And you can earn 60,000 or 70,000 NT a month. 
the part-time pay is actually slightly higher than the full-time pay. Going by the hourly wage long-term, it's definitely higher than full-time. So young people actually tend to go for the part-time roles. International students like Xiaowai have been working flat out all summer to earn money. The government's new southbound policy is making it easier for them to find jobs while allowing more and more students to come here. After the coup in Myanmar, many countries refused to give us visas. It's just Taiwan that says Myanmar students can still come and study here and gives us lots of benefits. According to the statistics of the Ministry of Education, approximately 11,000 to 12,000 international students graduate in Taiwan every year. If they want to stay and work here after that with professional skills, then currently we're pushing forward something called the Point System for International Students. The number of adults aged 15 to 65 in Taiwan is dwindling. Each year, it drops by about 180,000 people. With the birth rate falling, international students are a huge boon for the country. If benefits or favorable policies can keep them here, they could help stem the looming labor shortage. The National Palace Museum has embarked on a new brand collaboration to attract visitors in the post-pandemic era. This time around, it's team up with a food company to produce frozen dumplings endorsed by none other than Confucius. The packaging of this dumpling features a painting of the ancient Chinese philosopher. Inside are served in turf dumplings filled with ground pork, cabbage and milk fish. The dumplings are just the latest in a string of collabs by the museum, which has worked together with more than 50 brands. Among its recent products is a bare brick with the famous Chinese painting along the river during the Qingming Festival. The museum says it has made about 200 million NT from cultural products, half of which comes from collaborations like these.